a killer on the loose terrorizing the local area, and people are afraid to go out at night. And a woman is succumbing to madness. She's hallucinating, hearing things that aren't there, calling out to people who don't respond, and reliving the same horrors that her father was sent to the sanatorium for. But something doesn't add up. Something is amiss. Welcome, listeners, to your old-time radio episodes, remastered and edited to remove pops and clicks and save your ears. Your first episode is called The Lonesome Corpse, and your second story is Breakdown, aptly named. The first story I edited today was quite fragile. I did a lot of work on that one, repairing a lot of audio to ensure it's audible. And the second story, Breakdown, was also quite a fragile episode, but in much better condition than the first one. Both are worth your time, and both have been dramatically enhanced, so you can hear what's going on. Before I jump in, a big thank you to my white tea warlords, Majestic Matthew J. Bauer, Megastar Maya, and Divided by Zero, the Auditory Hero. Thank you for supporting the show at your tier level. It is such a contribution. Recently, I was able to acquire some new cables for noise reduction and improvements on the audio filters. Thank you so much, my White Tea Warlord team. This show is improving because of you. And my Earl Grain forces, Chad Warren, Just Heather, Lee Bauer, Lorraine Crisanto, Mace Joe, Paige Marcini, Peter Raffaelli, and Michelangelo Yacone. You keep the lights glowing and the blood of this podcast pumping. A shout out to you awesomes and thank you for your support. Now I won't keep all of you waiting. Turn the lights off, the sound up, and get comfy by the old time radio fireplace. Remember Hugo Carteret? Of course you do. The brilliant criminologist and charming gentleman who had such a wonderful flair for solving crimes which carried a hint of the macabre and savored of the supernatural. He died back in the 20s, and they say that everybody from the 400 of Park Avenue to the 400,000 of the Bowery and Hell's Kitchen came to his funeral. Anyway, Hugo Carteret left his memoirs, and the very first chapter deals with an infamous crime which in June of the year 1922 threw all of New York City into an uproar of horror. Such was the case of the Lonesome Court. Greystone Park used to be the private estate of old Caleb Greystone, eccentric recluse and, incidentally, millionaire many times over. When Caleb died, he willed the estate to the city of New York. The city fathers, properly grateful, promptly converted the estate into a park. It was public in that it was open to the public. But it had a private look, because a 15-foot wall of polished stone completely surrounded it. One day, back in June of 22, a big car drove up to the only entrance. In the back seat of the limousine was William Marsden, wealthy lawyer and executor of the Greystone Estate, and he had come to inspect the ground. You wait here in the car, Edward. Yes, Mr. Marsden. Will you be long, sir? I don't think that's any of your business. I pay you to chauffeur me around, not to ask me questions. I was only bringing up the fact that it's getting dark, and you said you had to be at the plaza by nine. I'm perfectly able to take care of my own business, Edward. 
I'll mind mine and you mind yours. Now you wait here in the car till I'm through in the park. Understand? Yes, Mr. Marsden. Lawyer Marston disappeared. Think his chauffeur had something to do with it? I don't know, Tom. I don't get it. He tells his chauffeur to wait, walks into this here park, and never comes out. Chauffeur hears a scream inside the park, and that's all. Uh, you scared too easy, Tom. Ah, uh, nine that nice. Just broke my shovel. Well, I have to go over to the tool house and get another one. But, Joe, the tool house is way over the other end of the park. So what? It's getting dark. It ain't healthy to be in this place after dark. Let's knock off, Joe. We can finish digging these flower beds tomorrow. If we knock off, we'll both be looking for a new gardener job tomorrow. Andrew, the superintendent, told us to finish up tonight. And that's what we got to do. Look, Joe, I, don't leave me. I got an idea there's something running around this park we don't know nothing about. When I think of that lawyer, Marston, I... <laughs> so, you see the ghost now, huh, Tom? Well, there ain't no ghost or nothing else that can scare Joe Donetti. You wait for me here. <laughs> if you see a boogeyman, why well, just offer him a drink and uh, ask him to stick it out, all right? <laughs> Sergeant Hogan speaking. What? You saw a light floating around in Greystone Park? What kind of a light? Purple, eh? You see anything else? What? A white ghost walking down the park road, eh? All right, all right, don't get excited. We'll send a squad car to investigate right away. Hello, Sergeant Hogan. Oh, hello, Mr. Carteret. Miss Smith. Oh, I see you know my special assistant. Of course he does, Hugo. The sergeant and I are old friends. We met at the policeman. Oh. Keeping you busy these days, sergeant? Busy? Mr. Carteret, we sure need your help in this case. The commissioner's going nuts inside. And you ought to hear the double talk coming in over this wire. This Greystone Park business has got the people living around there walking around in circles. They're seeing everything from the king of the pixies to the ghost of my great-grandmother. I don't wonder. I've been working up a few shivers about it myself. Is Commissioner Williams in, Sergeant? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go right into his office, Mr. Carter. He's expecting me. Okay. Here comes another screwball report. <laughs> Come on, Ann. Police headquarters. Sergeant Hogan speaking. What? You heard some kind of animal howling in Greystone Park? What kind of animal? So, Joe, don't have any left you. They got a new shovel, eh, Farrell? And then a little later, you heard a scream. Yes, sir. It came from far off, and it must have been Joe. Oh, oh hello, Hugo. Well, I guess that'll be all, Farrell. Stay pretty close to home, though. We may need you later. Yes, sir. Oh, that was Tom Farrell, the gardener. Hard to get anything out of him. He's so jittery. He's convinced there's some kind of murdering thing running around loose in that park. So is Marsden's chauffeur. 
And I'm convinced they're both telling straight stories. I trust you searched the park thoroughly, Commissioner. Oh, no, of course I have. You go. At a detail, practically scrape every foot of the area with a fine-tooth comb. And you found nothing, Commissioner Williams? Nothing. Until yesterday morning. Oh, you have a clue? Yes, if you want to call it that, Hugo. But, well, it's almost incredible. Fantastic on the face of it. Hugo, we need your help back. We're at our wit's end down here, and I haven't even asked. Well, naturally, Commissioner, I'd be delighted. There's a touch of the macabre and supernatural here that I find very interesting. Don't you, Anne? I'm not for sure. Now then, Commissioner, you said something about a clue. Yes. Donati, the missing gardener, was wearing hobnail shoes. The road was soft in the recent rain. And we were able to trace his footsteps. As far as they went. What do you mean, as far as they went? I mean those footprints stopped dead in the middle of the road. What? Right next to Caleb Greystone's tomb in the center of the park. It was just as though some giant bird of prey picked Donetti up and carried him off. But, my dear Williams, that doesn't make sense. I know it doesn't, but it happened. Donetti couldn't vanish like that, unless he had wings. Maybe he does have wings now. You know, Anne, I can't get those footprints out of my mind. They interest me. They scare me. In fact, I think I'll stop in at Greystone Park and have a look at them. You mean now? Yes. But, Hugo, it's midnight, and there's something dangerous roaming around in that park. Something deadly. Why not wait until tomorrow in the daylight? Because the things that happen in Greystone Park, Anne, seem to happen at night. Serene Greystone Park, the place that people just hate to leave. You should have let me drop you at your apartment, Anne. This is no place for a girl. Oh, no, Mr. Carter, and I'm going right with you. Well, here's the gate. It's the only entrance or exit. Let's try it. Anne, neatly locked with a heavy iron chain and padlock. The police want to keep people out, and I think it's a wonderful idea. Either that or they want to keep something in. The thing in this park couldn't be stopped by chains or padlocks. Well, they're not going to stop us either. Here, Anne, I'll boost you up to the top of this stone wall and climb up myself. Come on. There you are. How's the view up there? Oh, lovely. Now then, Mr. Carter, let's see what kind of a second-story man you are. <laughs> I haven't done this since I was a boy. <laughs> this wall is higher than it looks. You all right, Anne? Just dandy. Well, now, I'll drop down and, and then catch you. All right, Anne. Just let yourself go. All right, but don't miss. There you are. Listen, what was that? Only the wind. What? I thought I heard someone calling. Why, Anne, you're trembling. You're telling me. Hugo, where are we going? Up this road until we reach the place where that missing gardener's footprint stopped. Right next to that big square tomb in the center of the park, according to Commissioner Williams. Mm -hmm. That's the Greystone Mausoleum. All that remains of old Caleb Greystone, the philanthropist, lies within it. And that's the statue of old Caleb himself standing on the roof of the tomb. How nice. I hope you realize that William Marsden and Joe Donetti walked along this same road at night and they did... What's wrong? I felt a cold hand on my face. That isn't a hand, it's a leaf on the end of a twig. Poor kid. You're frightened, aren't you? Who, me? I'm scared to death. 
I'm so scared my hair's standing on end. Ruined my permanence. Oh, Hugo. What is it, Anne? That statue on the top of the mausoleum. The statue of Caleb Greystone. Yeah. Well, what about it? It moved. What? No. No, wait a minute, Anne. Hugo, I, I tell you, it moved. I saw it lift one of its arms and, and turn its head in the moonlight. Now, now, Anne, it's just that you're on it. What you saw was a mirage brewed out of moonlight and your own imagination. That statue's made of stone. Stone statues don't move. Come on, we leave the road and go down this hollow. Well, here we are. Here's the tomb. And here's the nutty footprints, just as the commissioner said. They're pretty faint. Wait a minute. What is it, Hugo? Look up at that statue of Caleb Greystone. Up there on the mausoleum roof. What about it? Well, when we saw it on the other side of the hollow... It faced toward the road, didn't it? Why, yes. Now it's facing away from the road. And it did move, Hugo. It did move. More than that, Anne. While we lost sight of it down in that hollow, it turned completely around. phenomenon of the restless statue intrigued Hugo Carter at no end. Like a hound after his quarry, he scrambled to the roof of the mausoleum and made a thorough examination of both the statue and the roof in the moonlight. He reported his findings to Police Commissioner Williams, and the next morning, in the light of day, they revisited the scene. You two up there better be careful. That roof's slippery. Oh, we'll be all right, Anne. Here, Commissioner. What's what happens when I grasp this statue? Uh-huh. Yeah, interesting, Hugo. It turns loosely on that upright bar. Yes, and I've no doubt that old Caleb Greystone is turning down below in his tomb at this sacrilege we're committing on his image. You know what, Commissioner? What? This statue isn't marble through and through. It's merely a marble surface on a light aluminum base. A man could lift it right off this support and walk off with it over his shoulder. Yes, yes, he could. Well, not that it proves anything. But these scratches on this polished stone roof, man, almost looks as though they led to the door of the crypt on the other end of the roof. It's hard to tell. I tried the door of the crypt last night. It was locked. Well, it's still locked. Hey, it's a massive tomb. Big enough to take care of 20 dead millionaires. Yes, you'd think old Caleb Greystone would be pretty lonely down there. And his condition to be lonely anywhere. Well, you go. Where do we go from here? Let's have a talk with the park superintendent, Commissioner. His office is over there on the left. Maybe he'll be able to throw a little light on the proceedings. As the old saying goes, you never can tell. Well, Mr. Andrews, this is Hugo Carter at the criminologist. And his special assistant, Miss Smith. How do you do? Andrews, how do you? Oh, yes, I've heard of you. How do you do? As superintendent of the Greystone Park, Mr. Andrews. We thought you might give us a little information on that tomb. Always glad to help the police, Commissioner Williams. Ah, thank you. Now then, uh, has that statue of Caleb Greystone always faced the road? Why, yes, as far as I know. It doesn't now, Mr. Andrew. You can see for yourself through the window. Why, bless my soul, you're right, Mr. Carter. 
Well, how do you suppose that happened? That's what we hope to find out. Interesting idea to build a statue of yourself and put it on your own mausoleum. Mr. Greystone had it made in memory of himself as a reminder to the public that he had converted his private estate into a park for their benefit. Mm -hmm. Somewhat of an egotist, huh? And from what the newspaper files say, eccentric. They practically accused old Caleb of dealing in black magic and selling his soul to the devil. Well, I understand the whole family was rather peculiar, Mr. Andrews. Well, yes, I suppose it's true. There were all sorts of rumors. Old Caleb was the eldest son, and he hated the rest of his family. Cheated them out of the family fortune, they say. It said that he drove his own brother Arthur into poverty. Yes, yes, I remember the case. Arthur Greystone disappeared. Bureau of Missing Persons never did locate him. Mr. Andrews, that mausoleum out there is a pretty massive affair. Is old Caleb the only one buried there? Yes. As I said, he hated the rest of the family. He specified in his will that only he was to be buried there. That wasn't very hospitable of him. So Caleb has that whole place all to himself, huh? What are you getting at, Hugo? Yes, that's what I'd like to know, too. Oh, nothing. Nothing at all. It's just that these cases of abnormal psychology interest me. Yes, Commissioner, they interest me no end. Come in. Oh, hello, Anne. Hello, Hugo. Relaxing at the piano, I see. Yes. Would you like me to stop? No, I like that melody you're playing. So do I. You know, music brings a certain clarity to the jumbled mind. It resolves things. It's a mental lullaby. Where's it been, Anne? Dallas Police Headquarters. Poor Commissioner Williams. Why poor Commissioner Williams? Every newspaper in town is clamoring either for a solution to this great stone park mystery or a new police commissioner. Yes, I know. It's a pity. You know, Anne, Frank Williams is not only a gentleman, he's our friend. I think the time has come for us to try and inspect this case. The time has come, all right, but how? Well, we've seen the outside of Caleb Greystone's tomb. It might be interesting to have a look at the inside. The inside? Yes. I've got an idea that's where our solution lies. But, but how are you going to get in? That door of the crypt on the roof is locked tight. <laughs> well, Anne, if I may boast a little, I have a certain skill with burglar tools. Yes, I know, but you can't go there in broad daylight and burglarize somebody's mausoleum. I don't propose to go there in broad daylight. You mean we're going tonight? I mean I'm going tonight. I'm taking you home right after dinner. Oh, no, you don't. You need someone to hold your flashlight. And besides, I'm just mad about Marcelino. Oh, it's a lovely evening. And outside of this storm, it's just as black. Oh, look out, Anne. This stone roof is slippery. Careful now. The door of the crypt is right over here. Keep your flashlight trained right on this lock. But wait a minute. How did that happen? How did what happen? Well, the door of the crypt is unlocked. Unlocked? Yes. Somebody's been here ahead of us. Oh, dear. It's awfully dark down there. What are we going to do now? 
We're going inside. But there may be someone in there. But I'll find out. You wait out here. Oh, no, you go, Carteret. I'm not going to stand out here alone. I'm going in with you. Have it your own way. We'll take this hammer with us. They come in handy. Careful now. There are stairs leading down into the crypt. You stay close to me. Hugo, I'm practically hugging you to death right now. Oh, it's cold in here. Well, it's dry at any rate. It's dark as pitch. I can't see a thing. Here, Anne, you take the hammer and let me have the flashlight. Now, let's have a look. Oh, Hugo, look. There are two men lying there on the floor. They, they must be... Yes. The two men have disappeared in Greystone Park. William Marsden and Joe Vanessa. Are they? Yes, there they are. Oh, devil. Nobody would think of looking for them in here. How? How were they killed? They've got deep red marks around their throats. Typical of some kind of strangling cord. Oh, it's horrible. Why were they brought here? Why would anybody want to do a thing like this? The motor van, like everything else in this tragic case, was abnormal. I'm beginning to see now why. And, listen. Footsteps on the roof. Oh, Hugo, 
I'll tie him up in his own cord in a moment. But first, let's have a good look at him with his flashlight. Look that white foot of his, will you, Anne? Hugo, it's Tom Farrell, the gardener. And so ended the case of the lonesome corpse, and another chapter in the memoirs of Hugo Carteret. Arthur Greystone had disappeared, only to reappear close to his brother's mausoleum as Tom Farrell, the gardener, a convenient alias. And the city of New York breathed a certain relief when this murderer, obsessed and poisoned by his macabre idea of revenge, finally went to the chair. <laughs> Breakdown. Sybil Wells' gray head lies wearily on her pillow. Her eyelids are closed, as if it were too great an effort to lift them. She can hear Dr. Adams and her nurse talking, but they seem distant, remote, much farther away than the thoughts in her own brain. She'll be all right now, nurse. Just give her this every hour. Very well, Dr. Adams. It's amazing she's pulled through, isn't it? I've been ill. Very ill. For how long, I could not even guess. It was a close call, but then she's always had a good constitution. I've known her for many years. Since I was 20... Since before, before it happened to Father. No, it's not her physical health that worries me. She's always been high-strung, nervous, like her father was. Before, well, I suppose you know. Not my physical health. What does he mean? Why must he tell her that Father died in an insane asylum? Poor Mr. Courtney. His family had to commit him. Mad as a March hare, of course. But each time I'd visit his cell, he'd plead that he was sane. Yes, he'd plead he was sane. And his eyes would be wild and desperate. And dead of hope. Sybil, I'm not mad. You're the only one who loves me. Who cares if I live or die? Please, make the doctor understand... I've been railroaded here, Sybil, because I had money and they wanted it. Oh, Daddy, I I have to go now. You don't believe me. You don't believe me either. Oh, of course I do. No. Oh, Lord, if you could only know how it feels to live among these dead and be considered one. Oh, Daddy, please, please. I, I must go now. Goodbye. Oh, Sybil... Sybil, I swear I'm sane. Sybil, I'm sane. I swear. Tragic case. Well, I'll drop in tomorrow to see how she's doing. Madness. The horror of vacuum. I guess I'd always feared it. I was sitting up in bed now. Except for the weakness, I could hardly recall that I'd been ill. 
Good morning, Miss Kern. Good morning, Mrs. Wells. I'll take that breakfast tray. And I think you're well enough to have the morning paper, if you wish. Oh, thank you, thank you. I, I haven't seen one for weeks. I settled back against the pillows and began to read. Earthquake, followed by fire, was yesterday for 33 miles along the shore. Fourteen people were many more injured. Authorities have the damage four million dollars. It didn't make sense. I read another sentence, and then a different article. What was wrong with me? Oh, of course, of course. My eyes. I'd been ill for so long, that's all it was. Nurse! Mrs. Curran! Well? Nurse, will you please read this newspaper to me? Oh, of course. Is anything wrong? You look so... Oh, no, no, no. Everything's fine. It's just... Just my eyes. I see. Well, what shall I read? This. This one. Earthquake followed by fire was yesterday for 33 miles. She read on. Her face was grave and slightly bored. She showed no surprise, no puzzlement. The words made sense to her. It was only I who couldn't understand them. Only I to whom they were a senseless jumble. People, Mary... Stop it! Stop it! I mean... I mean, I... I I don't want to hear any more. Please. Please, just... Just leave me alone, Nurse Curran. But Mrs. Wells... Leave me alone, I tell you! Leave me alone! That was the first discrepancy in my mind. I don't know how long I've been hearing the music. It has seemed all part of a dream. But then it began to unnerve me. It became frenzied and hating and evil. It sounded like all the demons of hell and the things of the night were after me. Bring it, stop! Bring it, go away! Please, please, Well, what's the matter? Oh, it's, it's all right now. It's all right. The music's gone away. The music. What music? For a few days after that, it didn't bother me. Not till early one evening. I'd rung for Nurse Curran twice. Where was she? I was very angry. I got out of bed and went across the room to the door. Mrs. Curran! She was walking down the hall, her back toward me. And she had my little daughter by the hand. Elsie, my baby. Her sailor hat was bobbing over her curls as she skipped... She had on a blue flouncy dress and the long white stockings and Mary Jane she loved to wear. Elsie! Elsie, darling! I didn't just stop. They walked right on as if I hadn't spoken. Nurse! They turned the corner then out of my sight. I began to run. Do you hear me? Stop, Mrs. Curran. I want to talk to you. Why, whatever is the matter, Mrs. Wells? Where's Elsie? Elsie? Yes, my daughter. I saw you walking down the hall with her, and then you turned this corner, and now she's gone. Where is she? I assure you, Mrs. Wells, I was with no one. 
As a matter of fact, I... I didn't know you have a daughter. Oh. Well, I haven't anymore. She was drowned with her father 20 years ago. I knew I had to be more cautious after that. For if Miss Curran ever suspected, she'd tell the doctor. And I'd seen enough of those walls when I was a girl. Well, how are you, Sybil? How does it feel to be downstairs for dinner? Oh, if you're ready to eat, I'll start serving. Why, Mrs. Curran, you needn't do that. Where's... Mary. Well, there wasn't much for her to do with you ill, Mrs. Wells, so when she asked to visit her sister for a few weeks, I, I didn't want to disturb you with details. Oh, I see. That, that's all right, Mrs. Curran. Then I'll get the soup. Sybil, I've been worried about you. Worried? Really? You're not recuperating as quickly as you should. And, well, Curran's been telling me things yes, that... Yes, yes. What has she said? Oh, nothing much, really, but... Perhaps you're a bit more ill than we thought. So she had noticed. I must be careful, very careful. Whatever happens, I must never let them send me there. I said, will you have your soup, Mrs. Wells? Oh, 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 yes. Yes, please. Mm. And you, Doctor? Yes, thank you. I took my first spoonful and could barely swallow it. The soup tasted far too salty. I was about to remark as much to the doctor when he said... Delicious soup, Delicious. Oh, uh, of course, George. Of course. Sybil, what's wrong? You hardly touched a thing all through dinner. Well, I guess I'm just not very hungry. Salt. Everything tasted of salt. First my sight, then my hearing, and now even this sense was playing me false. How long could I go on hiding what was happening to me? I think I should have resigned myself to insanity if the very next afternoon I hadn't wakened early from my nap. I wanted some warm milk, and when Mrs. Curran didn't answer my ring, I went down to the kitchen myself. Nurse Curran, is that you? Oh, it was a child, a little blonde girl who greatly resembled my daughter. She was playing with a toy tea set. Mother isn't here right now. She's gone to the village for some groceries. Would you like to have tea with me? It's only make-believe, of course. Mrs. Curran is your mother? Yes, I'm Jean. She never told me she had a daughter, nor that the child was living in my house with her. Here's your tea. Sugar or cream? <laughs> oh, I forgot. You only take salt in your food. I only take salt. What do you mean, dear? I, I don't quite understand. Oh, my mother explained to me. I asked her why she put so much salt in everything she brought you to eat last night. And that's what she said, that you only take salt in Jeannie, your food. Jeannie, are you sure of that? 
Yes, of course. I know who you are. You're Mrs. Wells, the funny lady we had to play a game with. What kind of a game, Jeannie? Well, dressing me in those funny clothes Mother found in the attic. Not looking around when you called to us. And then, when we turned the corner, I had to pop right into the linen closet and not make a sound until Mother called. <laughs> it was like hide and seek. Only you didn't find me. going mad. I had been terrified, blundering in the dark against an unknown opponent. But the game was clear to me now, and the rules, and the tricks, and most vital of all, my foe. Nurse Curran had tried to drive me mad, was still trying, but I could fight her. I had to fight her, for the sake of my sanity. Now, Jeannie, listen to me. Your mother mustn't know I was down here talking to you. Why, Mrs. Wells? Why shouldn't I tell her? Why, Mrs. Wells? Why shouldn't I tell her? Well, it's, it's a game, Jeannie. It's, it's like that hide-and-seek we played, remember? Please, please promise you won't say anything about my seeing you this afternoon. I, I promise. I promise, Mrs. Wells. I needed patience now. I'm cunning. Mrs. Curran was trying to destroy my reason. I couldn't let her succeed. But I needed definite evidence. And then one day... A letter came. A letter? From me, Mrs. Curran? Yes, it's postmarked New York City. Well, now, who would be writing me from there? It's from my brother, Frank. He's coming to see me and bringing a friend of his along. Someone who can help me, he says. When does he arrive, Mrs. Wells? Uh... On the 24th, the 3.30 train. Well, he didn't give you much warning. That's today, you know. I wonder why he's coming. You're you're his sister, and you're ill. What better reason? Frank and I have always loathed each other. He's not traveling all this way for affection's sake. It might be nice if I met the train. Well, if you think he'd appreciate it, you're very much mistaken. By the time you get there, he'll probably have chartered the most expensive car in town anyway. Frank's a spendthrift and a waitress. He ran through his share of my father's estate before Daddy was cold in his grave. Just the same, it would be a nice thing to do, wouldn't it, Mrs. Weld? Well, you, you know where the car keys are if you insist on being polite. Go ahead and meet him. <laughs> Uh, yes? Uh, special 
special delivery for Mrs. Agnes Curran. Uh, that's your nurse, ain't it, Miss Wells? Oh, yes, it is. I'll take it, Postman. She's not in right now. I'm awfully sorry this is late, ma'am. But you see, one of our sorters put it in the regular mail route back, and I only just discovered it. Oh, I don't suppose there's any great harm done. Oh, well, thank you. I hope not. <laughs> well, good, good, goodbye, ma'am. Goodbye. <laughs> I shut the door quickly and stood turning the letter over in my hand. For I had suddenly recognized the writing on the envelope. It was Frank's. And how could he know the name of my private nurse unless they knew each other? George hadn't corresponded with him, I was sure. He was aware of the hatred between us. I quickly ripped the envelope. Dear Agnes, just a line to let you know of Jean's safe arrival. I think your fears that Sybil saw her and suspects you are groundless. But perhaps it is safest this way. I feel sure that by this time, my dear sister has passed, or at any rate is near the breaking point. I'm coming down next Thursday and will bring a specialist with me. I am certain that when she tells him of her hallucinations, shall we call them, he will have no hesitancy in declaring her insane. There it was. The whole fiendish scheme. I held all the proof I needed right in my hand. I called George and asked him to come over as quickly as he could. And then I barely got upstairs when I heard the front door open. Please, Mr. Courtney, she may have fallen asleep. She's still rather weak, you know. Of course. I uh, understand. If you and Dr. Randall make yourself comfortable, I'll go upstairs and see how she is. Splendid idea, nurse. Uh, Mrs. Kern, wasn't it? Yes, sir. If only George would come. Now the showdown was at hand, I was frightened. The nearer she came, the more frantically my heart beat. These next few minutes would decide so much for me. And I was alone. I felt sick with terror at having to face Mrs. Curran without George's comforting presence to reassure me, to make me know that everything would be all right. Because if I played my hand wrong now, if I couldn't convince the specialist of my sanity, I might never spend another night in the house. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I startle you, Mrs. Wells? Well, I... I didn't hear you come in. Your brother and Dr. Randall are in the parlor. Oh, yes. Well, don't you want to come down and see them? We're not leaving this room just yet, Miss Curran. Not until we settle a few things. But I... I don't understand. Is, is there anything wrong, Mrs. Wells? No. I'm just... curious. Where did you have that trick newspaper printed? What? And how did you manage the music that night? Was it a phonograph record played from your room directly into the ventilator? Hey, I don't get what you're talking oh, about. Oh, yes, you do. I've known for almost a week what you were up to, young lady. But I wasn't sure just why you were doing it or who was behind you. I am now. You're, you're crazy. I thought it all along your mare. Oh, no, my dear. That was your aim, but you didn't succeed. You see this letter? The same stationery as the one I received today. The same handwriting, too. But this was written to you, Mrs. Curran. Fortunately, it wasn't delivered till after you'd left the house. Give me that. Oh, no. No. You'll have to kill me to get that. And I'd rather be dead than be in an institution. And we wouldn't want too loud a scene with that specialist downstairs, would we? He's not in my brother's pay, is he? 
No. All right. You win. I was working for Frank. He promised me a share in the estate. Why, I can't believe it. I simply can't believe it. George. Oh, thank heaven. Now, 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 Sybil, don't cry. You know, she almost had me fooled, Sybil. Well, here's the proof, George. A letter that Frank wrote to her. Hmm. Dear Agnes, coming down next Thursday, declaring her insane. <laughs> Sybil, you'd better go downstairs and bring Dr. Randall and your precious brother up here immediately. Ten minutes before, I'd gone down these steps, an old woman. But everything was different now. The shadow had been lifted. I was free again. Well, well. My dear sister, Sybil. Don't you dare sister me, Frank. Why, Sybil, and here I brought Dr. Randall all this way to see you. To see me, indeed. To declare me insane so you could get your foul claws on the rest of Father's money. Sybil, what are you saying? I uh, don't think I understand, Mrs. Wells. She's... I told you she was... Mad? Insane? Yes, I'm sure you did. And it's no fault of yours that I'm not. Dr. Randall, a few weeks ago I was very ill. My brother took advantage of that by planting Nurse Curran with me. She took all her orders from him, and those orders were to drive me insane. Oh, I, I, I never heard of such a thing. I, I hadn't realized she was quite so badly off as this Randall. Oh, there's no use your blustering anymore, Frank. George Adams has written proof upstairs. The letter you sent Mrs. Curran. Why, why I, I never wrote her my whole life. I never met the girl till today. Suppose we go and see what this is all about. Well, Courtney? Oh, of course. As you say, Doctor. Frank's face was gray. Perspiration beaded his brow as we went back up to my bedroom. George and Mrs. Curran were standing by the window quietly when I opened the door. Here they are, George. Yes. Thank you, Sybil. Well... Aren't you going to show Dr. Randall the letter? What letter, Sybil? The one Frank wrote Mrs. Curran. The one There I... isn't any letter, Sybil. But I gave it to you just before I went downstairs. Mrs. Wells I... told me she had definite proof that Mr. Courtney was planning to railroad her. Ah, it's terrible how convincing they can be. Isn't it, Randall? How very convincing. I see. George! George! I could hardly bear to recognize those first signs, Dr. Randall. I've known Sybil for 30 years. She was very dear to me. What did you do with it? Is it burned or torn into little pieces in your pocket, George? Where's that letter? What time too much of a physician to blind myself to fact. She'll be happier. Behind those walls, George, those walls where you and Frank put my father. Come, come, Mrs. Wells. You'd better come with me. No, no, you can't believe them. They're lying. No, please. No, no. You'd better take a ride right no. to the sanitarium. It's not safe to keep her here another day. Yes, I'm afraid you're right. I'll help you, Mother. We can use my car. Don't touch me, George. Don't you come near me. Get your hands off me. Adams, let her go. Happy to excite her undoing. Now, please, Mrs. Wells, take my arm. You know, we want to do what is best for you. Dr. Randall, Dr. Randall, please, I, I swear this on my eternal soul. There was a letter. It was special delivery written by my brother Frank to Nurse Curran. I wish I could believe you, Mrs. Wells. Watch your step, Sybil. Don't be so solicitous, George. I'd rather you kill me than betray me if you have. If there were one shred of evidence on your side, Mrs. Wells, 
one slightest bit of proof. Oh, say, I beg your pardon, Miss Wells. I, I had to come all the way back again. I forgot to have you sign this slip on that special delivery for Mrs. Curran. Adams, give me those car keys. And turn around. We're going back into that house. I think we've got a few things to discuss. Mates, you had murdering gardeners and gaslighting family members back in the 1940s. What more do you want in an old-time set of episodes? <laughs> I must admit, the audio quality was difficult, mate, so I hope a lot of you were able to handle it. For those wondering what the heck the last line of the first story was, it was Gardener. They figured out that the gardener was the murderer all along. And the gaslighting family, my goodness, what a slow burn. A twist at the end, and then another twist for escape. Gotta say, emotional roller coaster ride, mates. But I loved every minute of that OTR story. This Wednesday, I'm going to do some more No Sleep stories. If you have any recommendations, send them my way with an email. And lastly, thank you for listening. I've been doing this for around four years now, and every single email I get, review, and support, is like I'm receiving that feedback for the first time. I cherish every single comment and communication. So thanks for listening. And thank you for taking the time, mates. Have a kick-ass night or a lovely day. And I'll catch you later for some creepy. As always, mates, till next we meet.